Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce in Sydney, joined by Christy Doran. And Christy, mate, I really hope that um, you packed your footy boots. Uh, you took them all the way to Europe with you because you've arrived today, tonight, sorry, in Cardiff um, to news, well, news that we knew that was coming, that six Wallabies are flying home uh, ahead of this final test with Wales. Uh, I'm not sure Australia, Dave Rennie, is going to be able to name a 23 um, surely there's a few emergency calls going out. So, mate, I'd keep your phone handy. Uh, you may be required at the Principality this weekend. Uh, how are you and uh, are you ready to go? Absolutely not ready to go. I can tell you that. Um, it was funny, actually. I got off the plane and met Tom Decent, obviously part of the Sydney Morning Herald, and uh, had a bit of a joke about that. And I, Drew Mitchell was going to be in town later in the week. And I thought, oh, well, you never know. Drew might actually be interested in it. Not, not myself. But um, then we, we name-dropped a couple of other people, which I won't mention. But it would be amusing nonetheless. But it's, it's actually not that funny because six guys uh, flying home throughout the week, they're not actually able to get everyone on the same flight at the moment. This is what happens when they're dropping down like flies and you don't plan like this. But... Five turned into six very quickly because not quite sure what hour exactly that it was that Rugby Australia or the Wallabies were told that Nick White's criteria two was in fact later deemed a criteria one HIA assessment um, and and therefore it's a mandatory 12-day stand down. So I, I initially Dave Rennie, Nick White thought it would be just the five players that were likely to be out a sixth. Um, it was funny. We, we spoke to Nick White um, after the game and uh, he said well and truly that he was fine, that he felt good. Um, but at times players, you know, this responsibility uh, needs to be taken out of the players' hands because sometimes players don't actually know what's best for them. So, that, it was interesting, um, and uh, he did, as I say, sound fine. It looked fine. He said, well, "You know, you know what I'm like." Um, anyway, it's a big, uh, a big headache, selection headache now for Dave Rennie, and there's a lot of guys that are going to get opportunities that perhaps they might not have thought they would a week back. Yeah, just before we we move too swiftly on from Nick White, I must admit that must admit, sorry, that I I missed this. Yesterday, I saw him down speaking with a trainer, but I did miss this little stumble, um, which has now been widely shared across social media, Progressive Rugby in particular, uh, an account that I think probably most people who listen to this podcast will now be familiar with. If we've spoken about it around the Bundy RK clean-out incident a few weeks ago, um, all about promoting safety in the game and, and you know, the proper management um, of concussion and, and return to play protocols um so i'd missed this slight little stumble um when nick white first was seeing that the wallabies trainer there and it looks like another one when he does go to get back up to to stand up as well um now clearly those as we know i think category one as you said um a signs that um whenever there's a, a loss of stability um that the player is immediately scratched from the game and and uh and then stood down for the the 12 days is as is the new world rugby edicts but clearly nick white returned to the game um so i wonder whether the question here is that whether the match day doctor had access to this footage um that showed nick white um losing uh you know balance momentarily did he do we know that um was this missing from his um his i guess uh his diagnosis of of White's condition on the field. Clearly the right decision has been made made now and he, he stood down and, and flying home, but it looks like one where, you know, they, it was clearly missed uh, at the time. Yeah. So there's two incidents and they're in quick succession, which makes it harder. So there is a fundamental flaw you would suspect in the um, process around uh, looking at players and, and making sure they're okay, keeping them safe. Um, the incidents were, as I say, in quick succession. The first, back Hanson was trying to make a covering tackle with a little clip. Uh, it was being looked at. And then moments later, Nick White takes a hard run into the defensive line and also has another clip. He went on to say, look, I'm 78 kilos and I've just taken it, you know, made a massive effort to get across to try to save a tackle. And then I've 
obviously carried the ball shortly after and I'm, I'm gassed and he tried to claim that, you know, I think it's just that more than me being necessarily concussed. However, the footage doesn't look great. We see two incidents, two knocks to the head. Whether or not the person is concussed or not, I'm clearly not a doctor. Perhaps you could say there is some form of brain trauma, which is how they describe it, the medical experts, that is. But you know, it, it is an interesting call. Um, was he knocked out unconscious? He emphatically said no. Um, we asked him that question. Uh, but nonetheless, the decision's now been taken out of his hands. It's been taken out of Rugby Australia's hands. Uh, he'll be going home in the early week. And, you know, these, these, I think ultimately it's a good thing for rugby that uh, concussion is seriously looked at. We don't know what's necessarily happening inside the brain all the time. It's not like a broken bone or a player that lies on the ground like Taniela Jupo did or Hunter Paisami did it, and it's clear and obvious that the person's got is injured. So, fair, fair play. Um, but there'll be, you imagine, at next year's World Cup, there'll be lots of these sorts of moments. And if there's a 12 day mandatory stand down period, and if it goes from a quarter final to a semi final, then blimey, there'll be a lot of scrutiny, a lot of heat on it. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned Tenula Tupu there. Um, probably the biggest injury concern, I guess, to come out of these ones for the Wallabies. Uh, from the weekend, uh, believed uh, certainly a suspected Achilles uh, tendon rupture. Um, unbelievable that you could have another one of those uh, in the year and almost eerily similar incident to, to Quade Cooper really, wasn't it? Quade was running with the ball. Taniela was just trying to get forward and, and catch the ball that um, he fumbled. He went down straight away. And I think initially on TV, it looked like he might've done a knee, but um, we now know that he's in all likelihood a, a ruptured Achilles tendon, a minimum nine month recovery um, for a player that, you know, relies so much on, I, I guess he's, you know, his low center of gravity and he's all his power comes from those legs. Doesn't he? That doesn't it, that yeah. it's going to be a real, real challenge for him. You would think to get back from, from the world cup. So clearly, um, and I'll just go through the other ones now, Hunter Paisami, um, a medial, I think it was Dave Parecki, another concussion, which isn't great news for him. Andrew Kellaway, a foot, um, and Rob Valentini also, uh, syndesmosis, I think, um, basically yeah. a, a high ankle sprain or whatever the, they call it, um, on that front. So yeah, just rounding out, um, uh, you know, we've, we've mentioned it time and time again, that you, it's scarcely believable this run that Australia have had with injury this season and, and to lose these five, ga five guys, um, sorry, six now with, with Nick White as well for this final test on top of Bernard Foley and Will Skelton, both having to uh, return to their um, Japanese and French clubs respectively. Are they, are they going to be, honestly, are they going to be able to get 23 guys on the field this week? Yeah, you can laugh about it. Uh, well, look, they will. And there is actually enough quality, uh, I think, in the depth of the squad to go. They should be able to, you know, this isn't an Australian A-side. This is a... Well, perhaps it is close to an Australia side, but if it, there's enough quality Wallaby players from Mike Cooper to um, Len Ikatau to Alan Alatoa to James Slipper, there's enough quality in there to suggest that they can do a job. Um, they're not going to be placing the world's best Welsh side, that's for sure. Before we kind of move past the injuries, yeah, Tanella Tupo, from what I no one was told this morning, um, Sunday, uh, Welsh time now, but Irish time at the time, was that he's, yeah, it's a, it's a ruptured Achilles. And that has been met by a lot of, um, obviously, disappointment. Um, Tony Alatupa, huge player, huge loss. If, if he's not in part of the next year's World Cup, that's a massive, massive blow. But it's also a huge blow for Queensland Reds one of the bigger draw cards across absolutely. Super Rugby, but absolutely the kind of guy that can carry a Super Rugby side almost. There are questions being asked, so how on earth do you have four Achilles in one year? Now, we know that TJ Perinara just got one on the weekend, but this is an injury that's pretty rare. Um, I've had two former Wallabies that didn't play together, but have been part of Australian Rugby for 30 years that have said, They've hardly seen one in their career, let alone four in the space of six months. This isn't this isn't just a random blip 
you know, there's been questions about the strength and conditioning program for a long, long time. Now, people like Dean Benton have been in, they're what we're led to believe are going out. They're not necessarily with the team, traveling with the team the whole time. There's other people coming from various franchises that might come in for a short period of time. But you've got to imagine that if you don't spend time with players and know what their strengths, their weaknesses, how their body operates, then you don't necessarily know how hard to push a player. Um, where the responsibility lies, is it, is it the Wallabies? Is it Dave Brennie? Is it Rugby Australia? Not quite sure, but serious issues, serious concerns, and a massive questions have to be asked because you look at the Rebels list, for instance, they've lost you know, Matt Phillip in a training exercise. Seems freakish enough, but then you lose a uh, Leota one as well to an Achilles, and then two of your best forwards are out for the Rebels for next year, pretty much the entire season. They are colossal blows. Uh, and, and, and when you think and you're encouraging a program, uh, an administration, to encouraging states to potentially work towards a centralisation program where you might have one body that kind of oversees the, the whole thing, it's not a great sign, Tough not sell. a great indicator. Trust me. Yeah, good luck. So huge blows. Look, the Wallabies, uh, you know, every time that guys get injured, obviously it op- um, presents opportunities for other players. Um, they have to take it because this is possibly the last opportunity for a number of these players. And when I talk about some of them, I think of Noah Lolaseo, a guy that I think has been thrown under the bus at various times over the last couple of years, um, in and out of the side. I can't understand the selection criteria going on um, for a 21, 22, 23-year-old bloke to be in and out as much as he is. But you would imagine that he would come in. He sat on the bench for 80 minutes on the weekend. Um, and, uh, other guys like Ben Donaldson, Jock Campbell probably come and feature whether or not they start or on the bench, who knows? Tate McDermott will get an opportunity. Guys like Matt Gibbons, Sam Talakai, guys that aren't necessarily first-choice players will get a crack and Ned Hannigan and Pete, you know, the Pete Samus, the Fraser McWrights will compete for positions too. So the long story short is there was 36 guys that came on tour to begin with. And we know that not 36 will go to next year's world cup. So uh, with 10 players out injured and more now, probably up towards 14, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people next year. So it's, it's all about making sure that you take your chance. And that really comes down to a win at the principality stadium, which is about 500 meters away from me at the moment. Inside centre would clearly be, I guess, uh, among the chief concerns given you think about Los Karevi, uh, Los Fichetti, and now Paisami. Um, I mean, what are the options there this week? Is it a, a Reese Hodge situation? Mr. Fixit comes in again. Does Lenny Katow move in? Although Andrew Kellaway's clearly not there to cover 13 anymore. Ikatow to 12, Hodge to 13. Um, how do you see that playing out? Well, interestingly... Dave Rennie's gone away from Reese Hodge in recent weeks, which I find curious because let's be honest, Reese Hodge had a terrible Super Rugby season. It was the worst Super Rugby season of a Wallaby I can remember. And he had admirable performances after being recorded for the Wallabies, yet in recent weeks has found himself out of the side, hardly got a minute. So... Um, I don't think that uh, Dave Rennie sees Reese Hodges as a 12, nor a 13. If that was the, the case, we would have seen him brought on uh, during the Bledsoe Cup in, in Auckland when he decided, okay, we're going to put Geordie Bataille in. He can go at 13, despite the fact that he hadn't played there in a long, long time. So I don't think he sees him as, as a midfielder. And, and Scott Wisemandlewood, whether or not they're in a grants, but the attack coach Scott Wisemandlewood, said similar things. Um, I personally think Hodge is the simplest, the smartest, the decision that needs to be made. This is a guy that played 12 for the Wallabies in 2016. Um, He can definitely do a job. He can actually probably, I think, give an extra pair of hands. I don't think he's a great 10, but he's still a guy that at a pinch can do that. I think Lenny Katow is not a 12 at all. I've every. The moment that Hunter Paisami was injured in the second, third minute 
of the Saturday test against Ireland, I thought the Wallabies had no chance. Um, Ikatao's not a 12. He's not a crash and bash. He's not big enough like a Samu Karevi. He's not got the three-pronged threat that Hunter Paisami's got. He's an outside centre. And, and by shifting him from 13 to 12, their attack was utterly dreadful for an international side. They had 67% of possession uh, territory in the first half, 61% possession, and they didn't look like scoring a try. There was a couple of times there that they looked like deers in headlights, and I felt a bit sorry for Bernard Foley at times. I think the two wingers were outstanding. I think Tom Wright played really well. Probably one of his better tests was a constant threat. Mark Nwanginidu-Arsi, we'll talk about him probably later, has added a lot to their attack allows them to have two or three dimensions about their attack, but otherwise there's nothing doing. Jordan Pataia had a good crack, but when you've got a guy that doesn't have the ability to either dent the gain line, um, bend the line, or, 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 or be a distributor like a, a Matt Giddo in the past, a Kurt LeBeau at times, they looked absolutely toothless in attack. And any thought process of Lenny Kattel shifting from 13 to 12 would be the wrong decision, in my opinion, against Wales. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer. I think Tom Wright would be a better option. But all I'm thinking about at the moment is uh, I, I think it's good that Dave Rennie left Kirtley Bill at home, purely in the fact that he had allowed other people to get exposed. But Curtly Bill's the sort of player that you need in that squad. And, uh, and I think the World Cup, 10 months away, you need him in that 23 because if there's an injury, he can cover 10, 12, 15. But once again, I don't think that Dave Rennie likes uh, a ball playing 12 at all. You know, he used to use Bundyaki at 12 for the Chiefs. Similarly now with Samri Karevi, Hunter by Sami. But uh, I think Dave Rennie's game plan is being found out at the moment. I must say I felt uh, incredibly, well, I felt sorry for Dave Rennie um, on Sunday morning as it was here in Australia yesterday because I, I don't know how a team uh, manages to give up four separate neck roll penalties mm. in one half of rugby. That just blows my mind. And to me, um, you know, I, I know the injuries are going to test them now and, and they'll need fighting to play this week. But surely... For him being the fourth, uh, got the yellow card um, when the Wallabies were defending to boot. Um, I don't know. One, okay, yeah, you got it wrong, and you were, it was early in the match, and and Parecki, you know, let, let, that's forgivable, I think. Two at a stretch, but the third and fourth in in one half of rugby is, is just shows the inherent discipline issues in this team for me, and I just thought that was the most. The first three minutes of the game, I basically had my my match verdict report written because it was. Wallabies injury, uh, Wallabies try, Wallabies try overturned by TMO for neck roll. It was just, it, it said it all in three minutes of one match. But I, I, like if I was Dave Renning, I'd be pulling my absolute hair out and I would have gone in the, in the post-match review. I don't know if this is in Dave. It's not really his go. He's such a measured and and usually a fairly relaxed um, coach. But I, I would have lost, I would have blown the roof off with a serve for, for four neck roll penalties in one half of rugby. That is scarcely believable. Yeah, and look, perhaps this comes down to myself uh, and Tommy Deason not asking that exact question um, because uh, I agree with you. But but on Thursday when speaking to Dave, he said that, you know, we've got this thing of dumbass penalties and, Thank you. Um, and one player is missed selection because of it. Um, we're not quite sure who that player is at the moment. Uh, there could have been any number of them, and then it made me left. It left me bemused when he said that, given that guys like Jake Gordon were selected on the bench when he gave away a yellow card, which shoulder bump, fourteen yep. points. So it's hard to quite see the logic in what he's saying there. Um, perhaps that's you know him not rating Tate McDermott, and it increasingly looks like that. Um, but. I, I agree with you right? because we saw that time and time again. You know, you can you can forgive one or two, and and even Dave Parecki when he did it, he realised it and immediately tried to let go. The other ones had no excuse, and they continued to do it straight in front of Ben O'Keefe. And it wasn't even like the TMO there in those instances interjecting because 
particularly the the Neville one, was just clear as day straight in front of him. There's a lock, and he's obviously a tall guy. So you're right, and 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 it needs a serving, and it needs a rocket, and it probably does need selection overhauls. But let's be honest, uh, Dave Rennie hasn't been, I don't think, strong enough at any single point in time. You look at the Wallabies, uh, you look at any international coach at the moment that is worth their weight in gold and and you'll see play, um, you know, from Eddie Jones to Rassi Erasmus to previously Steve Hansen, there is a larger-than-life figure in them where they either inspire, but either or, or way, there is something about them that they're meant not necessarily on the spectrum, but but they um, they are completely strong willed, strong in their approach, and oh, I think Dave Rennie is is he he is the sort of coach that puts arms around players, so it's not his go. But at some point in time, I think players need to be told, "Come on, it's time to fix up this because it's not good enough anymore." Yeah, you're right to bring up the dumbass penalties comment last week because they were for certainly the the, the three after Parecki's. That is to me the absolute um, you know definition of, of dumbass penalties. So I hope um, someone was uh, or a few players got a got a rocket as you say. Although uh, given what we know about Dave, uh, maybe not. Um, some positives then. You mentioned uh, Mark Wanganito Wasi again. Um, really look to threaten um, the Irish defensive line, one of the few to do so. Uh, we know about his aerial prowess. I think he took two or three balls, attacking balls in the air. We know how important that's going to be in France next year, the way the game's played at the moment. Um, and he's I th- he's still in that early stage, isn't he, where probably a lot of these teams didn't think that they'd be facing a Mark Norgan Itawasi at this point in the year. So he's perhaps not being watched uh, as he as he should be, given the way he has been playing in recent times in, with Australia A. Um, you do fast forward to next year and think, well, they will have done their homework on him. The research will be there, but maybe they will be putting more focus on other players and potentially that opens up a, you know, frees up some other players. I mean, at, at the moment, you probably say he's still, what, number four in the pecking order behind Corin Betty, um, Kellaway Wright, um, those three. Um uh, but you know, if he continues to play, if he, I, I assume he'll be back on the on the right wing again this weekend in Cardiff. Um, if he backs that up with a, you know, a strong season with the Waratahs in, in Super Rugby, he he's very much looking like, um, well, I guess the bolter right now. But by the time of Super Rugby finishes next season, he may well have not even be in that that tag. He may well have, you know, be clearly uh, one of the best wingers available. Yeah, I think the. I think the thing that holds him in good stead is Darren Coleman. Uh, Darren Coleman, before before the day actually the Wallabies left to, to head to um, France uh, by, I think, the UK, um, Coleman said he's going to have a one or two moments in this spring tour where he might actually stumble, where he'll have, he could, and I hope that he has a good performance, but he said... Wouldn't surprise me if he's also brought back to to ground earth, um, and I think they're the sorts of comments from coaches that get it. They understand it. You know, Eddie Jones often, and I've heard this from a few people. He might you know, a young player, particularly, give him two or three goes, and then he'll either just remove him or put him a, back. Arundel being the, the perfect example at the moment. Yeah, and and it, sometimes it just means okay, you're going all right, but there's many areas in your game that you need to improve on. And I don't think that'll be lost on Darren Coleman next year. Like, there's going to be some quality and some star power in there. It doesn't mean that Mark Nwanganidoazi starts every test, perhaps not, and nor should he, because that's how you get a stronger squad by rotation by giving people opportunities. And that's indeed the only way that Nwanganidoazi, in fact got an opportunity himself. So, yeah, you're, you're probably right. But the thing that that excites me about him is that, firstly, unbelievable in the air, but he just gives you a different dimension. He allows you to play the game in a different way. And, and as you quite rightly said as well, the game increasingly has kicking involved. I heard just the other day that the French, within 30 seconds, if nothing's doing, they kick the ball away. There was a stat that was given out. And... And, and you saw the All Blacks on the weekend about 
how they played against England. And you don't necessarily do this every match, but they they were brilliant. And that's how I think the New Zealanders are best when they, you know, much like they were against the Wallabies in Sydney in 2020, where they just kicked from side to side and completely manipulated the defence. And then there was a chip over the inside in the centre of the field. New Zealand had it on a string for 70 minutes and then switched off and, and, and it went to shit, really. But kicking so important. So no one who asks you has to be part of your squad going through it forward. Otherwise, there's, there's hardly a bloke over six foot. Tom Wright, I think, is your tallest at about six one. You know, Jordan Bataille, though, he, uh, he's a guy that continues to... Um, I won't say frustrate because he had a good game on the weekend, but he's a guy that hasn't lived up to the potential yet. I, I think this is a really important next year or two. And he's the sort of guy that is a power athlete that complements someone like a Nawanganiduasi as well because of his strength. I love to see these guys, and it was encouraging to see them finish the test in, in good form. No doubt. Uh, just before we, we wrap up on the Wallabies, Christy, I'll put this question to you. How much of the blame should Rugby Australia be wearing at this point for scheduling a, or agreeing to these two tests outside the world rugby window? Now, I, as, as has been said, it's, you know, trying to, I guess, replicate uh, as closely to what they'll, what the Australia and other teams for that matter will face in, in France this time next year um, around playing back-to-back test matches in, in four or five weeks. But given... I know hindsight's a wonderful thing too. And, and who would have foreshadowed that um, the Wallabies would have suffered the, this incredible injury toll that they have this season, but um, a year out from the world cup, it was this, uh, was this a foolish endeavor? These playing five tests on this tour, um, adding Scotland um, before the world rugby window opened and, and Wales after it had closed. Um, how much blame, uh, if any, should, uh, should the governing body, uh, I guess, where? Because we know these are financially lucrative and that's why they're staged because Scotland Rugby Union needs the, needs the cash, the Welsh Rugby needs the cash and, and certainly Rugby Australia needs the cash um, by getting a split of the, of the share uh, from these test matches being shared. So, I, I mean, and, and by extension, we'll, obviously we think Dave Rennie will, will be safe no matter what happens this weekend. But um, does that all fall part of, of, of where he's at in terms of the review as well? And, and how much, you know, how much blame should RA cop? Yeah, well, on, on Dave Rennie, I'm not so sure you'd be safe if there was a defeat this weekend. I think it would put real pressure on him to, to stay. If it was a bad defeat and a bad performance, I've got a hunch that it would change, um, that there would be massive changes. Um, as for as for whether or not four, five, three tests should have been played, it was, before this test season started, there was an April camp and, a, and sections of the media were invited up to uh, the Gold Coast um, where they were based at Sanctuary Cove. And, it was it was revealed that they were considering a fifth test, and quite a few of us thought, okay. And and David said, ah, it's good. We we need as much rugby as possible. And so, whether or not he was just saying that for to try to keep appearance sake to be aligned with Rugby Australia, or whether or not he had strong opinions on it, he certainly didn't um, suggest it. Now, it's as you say, hindsight's a great thing, but and these sorts of fixtures are locked months in advance. I imagine midway through the the, the test season, Dave Rennie would have referred four, but at the start, I don't know if he, he had any huge concerns about a fifth. Um, clearly, he wouldn't have foreseen the amount of injuries that transpired across the six months, but you know, I think. I think this is an opportunity that, that the Wallabies should be going. This is a great chance for guys on the periphery to get a crack. Uh, and any kind of thought and suggestion that it's been a long season is the wrong one. Now, let's be honest. Uh, Super rugby players play uh, many less matches than anyone in France, anyone in England, um, because you know their seasons go for nine months of the year. So... Uh, and that, that's their domestic season. So I don't quite subscribe to the theory that it's too much. Five tests is a lot, but 
if you manage your squad, I think the real issue and the underlying issue is what's happening with the strength and conditioning program. Those questions have got to be asked. Clearly, five weeks back to back is a lot, um, but I don't think it's unprecedented. Like, you know, you, you go back a few years and the Wallabies were also playing against a French barbarian side uh, that I think was coached by Scott Wise Mantle. So many of those players would have participated in that. Um, yes, it's more matches than they played in 2020 because of COVID, but I, I don't think it's unreasonable what's going on. Uh, what do you think? Because it's I know that people like Paul Cully have, have, have for quite a while said that it's a risk. Um, do you also subscribe to that? I think at this time of the year, mate, five five is is too many. Um, particularly the full July campaign, um, six rugby championship tests. Um, I think four would have sufficed, and that's one outside the window, and that probably gives you that little bit of, you know, we know Bernard Foley was available for Scotland. He's not this weekend. Maybe you can do a bit of bargaining around um, with the Japanese and, and French clubs as they did to to get him available for that, but. Um, I mean, five uh, at this time of year when you've been going, uh, let's face it, you know, a lot of these guys have been training since um, probably the second week or the middle of January. Um, you, the, your points around Super Rugby um, are, are valid. They are shorter than what the um, clearly what's played in, in the top 14 and, um, and the Guinness Premiership and, and the URC. But it's it's a long season, and, and mate, we know it from covering it, right? Like I, I don't know yeah. about you, you're like I'm certainly running on fumes from a from a rugby perspective. I, I can't get into the cricket at the moment. I'm waiting for the test to start, but um, for me right now, it's just like this is this is long. This is long. So um, look, I, I hope it doesn't come back to bite them in a big way this weekend because personally, I, I don't think changing the coach at this point. Um, is the right way to go. And I think that Dave will be able to make the case around what he's faced this year um, to at least see him through next year. I'm not sure giving him an extension is the right way to go, but I, I certainly believe that he's shown enough um, when things, when the chips have fallen his way um, to suggest that, you know, a semi-final um, performance at next year's World Cup is not beyond the realms of possibility. But yeah, look, I... But I mean, if we move then into into Wales, and and clearly they're the other top ten um, nation at the moment that are really, really struggling as well, beaten at home by Georgia, um, thirteen twelve, uh, and just the Georgian scrum. I don't know if you uh, if you haven't had the chance to at least watch the highlights or the minis on on stand, perhaps in Australia or elsewhere around the world. Um, just watch the Georgian scrum finish absolutely over the top of Welsh of of Wales and. Um, you know, congrats to them. They're pushing, they continue to push for consideration for Six Nations inclusion. We think that's probably highly unlikely given South Africa's constant um, links with with ex- expansion or, uh, I mean, it's going to be hard to kick Italy out now given their two mm. big scalps of, of 2022. So first up, a massive congratulations to Georgia. Um, but Wayne Pivak as Wales coach under enormous pressure now, a heavy defeat to the All Blacks, a, a somewhat scratchy win over Argentina and now a loss at home to to Georgia. Um, these are two teams that are really limping limping into Cardiff uh, on Saturday night, aren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you hear the guys like Sam Warburton and Jamie Roberts speak about what's going on at the moment, Welsh rugby, and they're clearly two guys that were part of some of the best Welsh sides that have existed, and certainly the last. 10, 12 years, guys that were pivotal for the Lions and uh, played huge roles in 2013, particularly as well as Sam Warburton in, in 2017. Um, uh, look, yeah, but, uh, world rugby, it, and this is something that should be celebrated at the moment, really, about is how close it is. It, there's not a single game there throughout the last three, four weeks where you've thought one side really is absolutely going to win this. Um, even the Irish match, I know a couple of us genuinely thought the Wallabies could do it. And, and the news of seeing Johnny Sexton pull out in the, in the minutes before, um, you know, during a, a warm-up, pretty similar almost to, to Quade Cooper doing a calf there as well. Um, but it, it, it is actually something that should be celebrated at the moment. Um, promoters dream, really, not knowing who's going to win. And we saw... You know, the amazing comeback from the English against the All Bucks. We've seen the South Africans beat a couple of times. We've seen the French go 10 from 10. 
Um, Scotland playing some amazing rugby with Finn Russell, not just back, you know, leading Scotland to victories, but also extraordinarily now Gregor Townsend turning around and saying, no, you're our man to lead us through to the World Cup. What a U-turn that is. Um, I think it's a great thing. The, the things that concern me about the Wallabies is that it's been now a long time and it's very, very hard, I think, to change uh, a culture. And I, and I don't want to necessarily say that it's been a losing Wallabies culture, but you look at it and it kind of has in the last five, six years. There's been countless games that they should have won or should have won more of them that they haven't. And they can say that they've lost the last three. And, and Nick White said the other day, oh, we could be four from four here very easily. Yes, perhaps. But this is a side that hasn't shown like they can win the tight matches in a long, long time. So it's really important, I think, to come out and make, it might not be a statement, but it's about finishing the year on a high. And, and clearly Wales are going to be keen for that because, as you say, Wayne Pivak is under massive amounts of pressure and funnily enough and maybe it's unfortunate but the foreign coaches coaching aside two New Zealanders coaching Australia and Wales um, like it or not it is a thing it exists uh, players as a perception often perceptions reality I think it actually does exist in the moment yeah, going to be a fascinating conclusion uh, this weekend, as we mentioned, Tess, that falls outside the uh, the official window and England also playing South Africa. Let's talk a little bit about England. Sammy, um, Sammy before before we get there, mate, I want to, I want to hear a couple of the crunch calls. What are you making, mate? At, uh, maybe the back row configuration, 9 and 10 and 15. I want to hear what you're going to do for the Wolves. Yeah, number eight's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, certainly, uh, let's give a wrap to Michael Hooper. I thought that was his best game over the ball um, in, at the breakdown for for as long as I can remember. Um, so two or three steals there at vital times. Um, so he's certainly at seven. I think you persist with with Holloway at six. I think he, he's getting better with, with more time in the saddle. Number eight, um, Pete Samu, you probably think will, will come in there. It is a lighter back row, isn't it? Um, Obviously, uh, I think to sorry, Tolupe Falatau is back playing in, in Wales these days rather than where he was at Bath. Um, don't quote me on that, but um, he should be available this week. Um, so is that a concern there? Um, nine, look, I think you've got to give Tate McDermott a shot from what we've seen from Jake Gordon the last two weeks. Um, I think this is probably a game that, that suits Tate too. I think it'll be a little bit more open um and yeah I, I think he'd be the way i would go so you put him together with with i guess noah um you know he, he deserves another shot so that'd be my nine and ten and, and give donaldson another chance off the bench and perhaps more time well certainly more time than than the four minutes he got in in florence a, a week ago so um yeah inside center i, I think i would play hodge and, and Igatau together so that would be my my lineup are the, are the key changes. Um, otherwise, yeah. And you know what? I I know they've probably got to pick Falau Fainga, but I'd be putting him on the bench and I'd be giving Lockie Lonigan a start there at hooker because I, from what I've seen from Falau, um, line out throwing wise and then the neck roll on the weekend, um, if he was, if that Dave Parecki had been fit, there'd be no way I'd be selecting Falau Fainga this weekend. Um, so he's certainly... He's got to be benched in my mind, given given the scenario. So, mate, um, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure did, but it's an interesting one. Off the top of my head, anyway, and who knows? There's um, there's still probably three or four training runs to get through, and given we what, what we've seen from the Wallabies this year, there could be one or two more injuries yet. Um, England, as, as I mentioned, uh, 25 all at Twickenham. Um, were pretty bloody ordinary for much of this match. Uh, down 25-6 when uh, Bowden Barrett slotted a, a drop goal, I think, with about 11 minutes to go. They The All Books look home and hosed and, and perched up on on their picnic, uh, on their towels on the beach, ready to enjoy a, a summer with um, perhaps a little less heat than than expected. Um, they, they were bad, as I say, but the All Blacks were also very good early on. Um, you mentioned the kicking game was, was superb, really isolated, the English wingers. Um, they were they were up fourteen nil early on. Um, poor Jack Van Portlivet had a a game he'll forget um, for some time at the English halfback, the young English halfback who threw an intercept to 
Dalton Papali'i. Um, and then the, the try of the game, though, was that beautiful cross kick, wasn't it? Um, that uh, that found uh, Caleb Clark, and he just came in field, dropped off a beautiful little switch pass to Rico Ioani, who, who flew down the left touch line for I think about sixty meter run. And at that point, um, leading into to Bodie's drop goal as well, you thought, well, you know, job done for the All Blacks. And then the game just turned on on Bowden's yellow card, didn't it? Which I think was was fair enough. Um, he got back to make a, a tackle on on Marcus Smith, who, who really came into the game late. Um, didn't release and and was you know it was yellow carded and even then they still needed to score um, three tries to to get back in it and it's what they did two to Will Stewart and and one to to your man big Freddie Stewart um, and, and before you knew it, it was twenty five all and and then the big one I don't know what you what you thought about this um, was it um, uh, how to put it was it weak was it soft of of England of, of Marcus Smith to, to, to kick that ball into touch. I can guarantee had the shoe been on the other foot, the all Blacks certainly would have gone for the win there. But um, how did you see that decision at that time? Uh, Marcus Smith showing, you know, we're, we're happy with the draw here. We've got back from, from 25, six, we're going to walk away with a 25 all draw. And, and uh, it's not obviously the result we're after, but certainly one that was a, a hell of a lot better than how it was looking 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I, I think being in the media room beforehand, there was a lot of Irish journos, uh, just journos across the room, probably that thought it was showed a terrible lack of ambition. However, I thought it was probably pragmatic. Um, the chances of them, uh, I think they probably felt like at that point in time, they probably, you know, they've almost won the game. They feel like they've won the game. Um, at the very least, it's a real dagger in the opposition's heart. Um, but uh, the the key difference between that and the previous two kickoffs were that the English got straight over the game line. They carried very well, um, and there was quick play the balls. Here, I think the Kiwi surprised the English um, by going short, which shouldn't surprise too many people. They clearly wanted to get the ball back, and we've seen the likes of Kieran Reid in the past get up for it and break the Wallabies' hearts in Dunedin in 27, and we won't talk more about that. But, no need. But no need indeed. But, yeah, I, look, I thought it was – and I made mention of the kicking game beforehand. I, I loved what we saw from the All Blacks in the first 70 minutes. I was surprised how narrow England were. Um, clearly, Jack Foon Portley had a shocker. But – Eddie Jones, I don't think, will be too dissatisfied by that because he clearly likes Jack, thinks he's a, a, a rising player of the future. To get a, a bit of a reality check about what it takes at this point in time, a year out, I think that's the best thing that could have happened for England, actually, is to go, we know you're good, but you've got to be better because if you're not bang on, you're going to get caught at the ruck, you're going to get the ball that's going to be slapped out of you. Um, the opposition forwards are going to go after you. Ben Youngs was great. Ben Youngs was outstanding off the bench. I think he could have been, you know, Nick White, we've spoken about the impact he can offer off the bench. And from time to time, I think you need to give a youngster an opportunity to see where they're at, what they need to do. And at the same time, you get the older veteran that goes, you know what, I don't like coming off the bench. I'm going to show you what I can do. And we saw that on the weekend, some sublime rugby. We saw Marcus Smith take control of it towards the end. Um, big tips there towards the end for the English about discovering maybe more about who they are and what they represent. The Marco Vonopolo, great off the bench as well. Um, Billy Vonopolo, like charging forward. This was two sides that will feature prominently at next year's World Cup, I dare say. It's interesting you mentioned a little bit about England. They're looking so good at the finish. Um, I was listening to the BBC uh, pod yesterday, the Scrum 5, which is a great listen for anyone out there who wants to, um, particularly through the Six Nations period, to stay up to date on, on games that are obviously played in the middle of all the night down here in Australia. And Chris uh, yeah, had, had it referred to him as a curate's egg. Now, I'd never heard of a, of a curate's egg before. A, a curate's egg is something described as partly that, partly bad and partly good. And I think that's probably about the best way to, to sum up England at the moment because we we still don't know quite whether this team has got the ability to, to put it all together for an extended period of time like we have seen the All Blacks do, probably to a lesser degree this year than what we're accustomed, but certainly 
uh, Ireland and, and France are the clear standouts on that front and, and also South Africa at times as well. So it's it's still tough to get a read on, on England and you get the feeling that Six Nations is going to be hugely important for them, like it will all those teams clearly next year. Um, to actually, you know, try and build a bit of momentum and, and just get there, get there together for one of a better expression. Um, what about the All Blacks, Christy? Uh, they finish, um, oh, geez, what's off the top of my head? Six, what, six, four, six, three and one? How many defeats? Uh, two, sorry, two to Ireland, um, one to Argentina, one to South Africa. So six, five, four and one. Is that their season roughly? Um, but, um, well, six, four, and one. Anyway, you can do the math. You know what I'm trying to say there. Um, still, you know, probably not answering um, the questions completely around whether they are back to their best, I don't think. But certainly for the first half, and it's worth remembering, uh, neck rolls, we were talking about the Wallabies earlier. Uh, Rico Ioani also got pinged for one, I think it was, um, which would have had them out to a 21-0 lead in that first half. And that would have been an almighty uh, mountain for England to climb to get back into it. Mm. So... Um, there's still, I wonder if they've found this, this setup right now, have, is it, are we destined to see Moonga and, and Geordie at 10 and 12 and, and, uh, and Bodie at 15, does that look like the feature, the, the future of, of their playmaking setup next year, given what we've seen from, from Geordie and perhaps this, you know, what they were trying to find in this, this Richie Bodie 10, 15, which didn't quite work out as they had hoped that, um, it is now being better complemented by having, Geordie there at, at 12? I think absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I never quite got and loved Geordie Barrett at 15, but he provides a big body, but an awesome skill set to come in at 12. I, I think it's doing wonders for the game. That was Bodie. That was up there with the best that I've seen Bodie and, and Richie um, uh, operate and attack together. They, they were great. I think. Uh, you know that 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 try was unbelievable. The the pace that they operated there with, I I think Rico Ioani did what he does best, which is finish off tries. I love seeing that. But um, uh, that they, they'll I, I don't think you know I don't think they'll be too disappointed. Clearly, they've let a game slip through their fingertips. But at the same time, seventy minutes, great rugby. Um, you know they retained the Bledisloe Cup. Uh, they won, I think, the rugby championship from from memory. Yep. Um, sometimes a defeat can be a good thing, and a year and a half out from the World Cup, I think that probably was a good thing for the, the All Blacks to have a few bad telling losses. I still think there will be questions about Ian Foster, whether or not he's the right person. Who knows? But there's enough talent and class and leadership, particularly when you've got Brody Retallick and Sam Whitelock in that in that side. The two of them together are up there still with the two most destructive, best um, seasoned operators. Uh, they'll be a huge threat, as I said beforehand. I, I think they're pretty well placed. They'll get some guys back from injury. Um, and David Havili, it looks like a, a pretty good option to, to put on a bench. Uh, Anton at brown missed a lot of the season, comes back towards the end. Um yeah, I think some decisions around their nines, potentially their bench option at nine, the, the configuration of their back row, where to Sam Kane. I think Dalton Papalili is a great young prospect. Um, yeah, they've got decisions to make around selection. Well, is that the biggest one then? Um, and this is a constant theme in New Zealand, isn't it? The future of, of Sam Kane. Uh, we know how um, he's run with injury and concussion certainly as well, but my goodness, it's got to be getting increasingly difficult to leave Dalton Popoli'i um, out of that starting side. And I, and I don't know that they're convinced that they can have three natural sevens basically no. playing in the one-back row. So I think that is the big, I think that is the biggest talking point for New Zealand rugby next year, uh, whether Sam Kane, um, I, I don't know whether they, they just try and ease a, a little pre-season change of, of captaincy and just declare Sam White like the the captain to take the pressure of that element, the captaincy element away um, and to put that, you know, give it a bit of air between the start of the test season at least. But um, yes, yeah, certainly uh, that, that for me is the biggest that, talking point going into the, the year, well, for, going to 2023 for New Zealand. Yeah. You and I aren't as close, obviously to the All Blacks as, as what we might be with the Wallabies or, or Australian rugby, but 
uh, you think that it's almost a no-brainer. And we know that Sam Whitelock's had, um, sorry, Sam Kane has had some injury history. Um, I, I think it's becoming more apparent by the day. Everyone respects Sam Kane, and he's a guy Honestly, that puts yep. his head, yeah, a guy that puts his head in places that not many others would. Um, but where at the moment, I think seeing Hardy Sevilla was up there with one of the best in the world, and and the, uh, the same question was asked around 10 and 15 with how do you squeeze Bodie Barrett and Richie Moanga in there? Is it still perfect? Maybe not. But I don't think you can have two or three back throwers that are sevens in, a, in, a, in that configuration. We saw that Australian rugby probably needed to make a big call, a brave call back in 2019 with Pocock and Hooper. Didn't they do didn't. It. I don't think it worked out. They needed to do it now, I think, New Zealand rugby. Interesting. Uh, all right, mate, that's a pretty good wrap for this. I think you need to, to get some shut-eye because you're probably going to be required in the weights room at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. We need you to put on probably 10 kgs of beef in the week. Uh, I think the Cardiff Chippies are famous for um, for their calories, so that'd be a good place to start, mate. Uh, bulk up this week and, and take your boots with you to the principality because you may yet be required, you and, you and Tommy Decent, not certainly out of the running just yet. That's some of your best work there, Tom. Um, fingers crossed for everyone's sake. That won't happen. Um, lot of training week, though, for the for the Wallabies. I don't, they're not going to get into Cardiff until Monday afternoon, local time. Um, they'll probably have a heavy uh, training session on Wednesday, I think. So it's a slightly different configuration the week. They've had a night out, a couple of drinks this evening. Um, important opportunity and, and to kind of let off some steam after a big long year as we've discussed. So fingers crossed, we'll see what happens, but yeah, the last week and it's been a, a final big push after a marathon year that was so plenty more reaction. I dare say this time next week. Yeah. One to go for 2022. Uh, it's um, we'll be here back again to wrap it all up. Thanks as ever for your company out there as ever hit us up on, uh, on social media, give us a rating on Spotify, Google, Android, wherever you listen to your potties. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, break down hopefully uh, what will be a, a, at least a positive finish for the Wallabies in some spaces uh, next weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you not long after. Cheers.